and welcome. You're listening to the SPAG Dialogue podcast. In this episode, we have two healthcare communications professionals talk about India's immunization roadblock, how to beat vaccine hesitancy through equitable access. Aman Gupta, co-founder SPAG, in conversation with Mark Chataway, co-founder Bed CMC. Hello everyone, my name is Avan Gupta and with me I have Mark Chatterway, co-founder of Bait CMC, one of the leading experts in healthcare and health comms across the world. Uh, someone who I have known for more than 20 years now and I really do look up to him when it comes to this subject. I think what we're going to discuss today is really very, very relevant, something which is touching all of our lives is the pandemic COVID and the need for vaccination. And especially in India, population 1.3 billion people gets vaccinated. Um, of course, there's a task from the logistics side of it. There's a task from the, the vaccine and its availability part. But apart from that, there is also the need to understand how do you really get people convinced? Because we do know that there are groups or individuals who have a certain kind of hesitancy about going for the vaccination. Uh, there is a larger population which cuts across the huge geographical uh, span of what we know in India, uh, not just from geography, but from the language, from the health literacy side of it. So how do we really sort of ensure that happens? Because if we do not, the pandemic will remain and it will remain a huge health issue, not just for India, but for the rest of the world. So we are hoping that Today, in this particular conversation, we will be able to find some insights, some thoughts and some actionables, uh, which could be useful for uh, various people who are engaged in really bringing the world to the, the new normal, as we, we call it now. With that, welcome, Mark. Let's start with understanding your point of view on what you think it will take to make the, the Indian population get vaccinated. I mean, I think there are really sort of three levels, and I don't think COVID is that different from other vaccines. Um, I think in what you said at the beginning, you hit the most important of those levels, which is logistics and making it easy. So, so, so what we know from flu vaccination is that if you make it difficult, very few, you know, and, and this is not an issue in India because sadly India deploys very few flu vaccines. But what we know from flu vaccination in North America and Europe, is that if you make it difficult and complicated, your coverage rates are low. If you make it easy, your coverage rates can easily get to 70, 80% of the target population. So, I mean, to me, 90% of our attention should be focused on making it easy, on having systems that fit people's lives. You know, people can work 10 hours a day, look after their family, do what they have to do and still get vaccinated. It's not go and stand in a queue for 12 hours or pay someone to go and stand in a queue for, for 12 hours. So to me, that's where 90% of the attention is focused. And if you get that right, you'll probably immunize 90% of the population. Tier two then is dealing with people who are a bit reluctant, a bit hesitant, as the terminology has it. And to me, the way, the easy way to what, what the literature shows us is that engaging with those people in argument doesn't do any good. It funds people like us because we work for communications agencies, right? So it's, it's good for business, but it doesn't have an effect. What has an effect is nudging them into it. So you say to them, okay, you don't have to get vaccinated, but if you want to go back to the gym, if you want to go to a crowded market, if you want to get onto an aeroplane, if you want to get onto a bus, if you want to get onto a train, unfortunately, you're going to need to show proof of immunization. 
at which point you cover, you're up to 98% coverage, probably, if you've done that right. And then you're left with the 2% who really have a problem. And there is a hard core of, I don't know what it is, 2 3 4%. And it depends whether troublemaking populist politicians have been winding them up or not. But it's, it's a small hardcore who really have a problem with vaccines. And for that group, you use different techniques. But I think all the discussion and the discourse gets it in the wrong order. You know, we spend our whole time talking about this two or three percent are convinced followers of Ayurveda or think the pharmaceutical industry is a plot by Bill Gates to microchip the world or whatever. They're tiny. We should focus, you know, nearly all our attention on the first two. Right, Mark. And I think, you know, just to sort of extend the two points and sort of try to get an understanding of where we stand in India right now. If we therefore look at the, the current way the people are getting access to the vaccine, which I think is even difficult for people like us in the metros, you know, where you have to, one, ensure that you have a, a kind of a laptop or a kind of a, a, a computer system for you to log in into something. You need to know how you need to do. You need to have a mobile phone so that you can get a, an SMS, you log in, and then after that, you need to sort of spend hours together to sort of get a possible slot. For say so, so definitely that defeats the purpose one itself because it's it does get so difficult, and especially therefore the the whole divide which happens the the whole equity part which we talk about you know the urban population versus the people in the peri-urban rural or even the rural dark areas will will not you know get access to that. So are there examples from other parts of the world where certain governments might have done something differently? Because I think in this case, the idea was that we do need to know who is getting vaccinated. How do you ensure they get the certification? There has to be a certain mechanism to, you know, keep the supply and getting, you know, people who are sort of getting it. So hopefully it will ease out in the coming months, as we know that the government has said that they will get 100% of the population vaccinated by the December 31st, 2021, a huge task which they have committed to, but uh, how does the Indian government do now in terms of if they need to really sort of make the things easier? I agree with you. I suppose there are a few models, but I'm not sure any country's got it completely right. I notice here in Ireland, for example, what happens is you get a text message, usually about 48 hours before the appointment, that says your appointment's at 9am, you're going to receive a Pfizer vaccine, and you have to go to this place. The only thing you can do is reply new, which means I can't make this appointment. And then you have to wait a couple of weeks and you get another random appointment slot. And so the argument people have made here is it'd be much better to reply, I can't do appointments at 9 a.m. because I'm, I work night shifts and my shift finishes at 9.30. Or I don't want the Pfizer vaccine, I want Johnson Johnson. So it's very difficult to point to countries that have got it completely right. But the, the guiding principle should be to have multiple routes to get the vaccine, which, as you say, are accessible. Some are accessible to people who are super tech friendly. So multiple routes to make the booking. I think where it's possible, give people a choice of vaccines if you can feasibly do it. But in India, that's that's probably not feasible at the moment. Then we should look at what the experience is. That's the first two things to do. That gets us to our 70, uh, 80%. And then I, I think the people who need to be nudged into it, India should then think about following the example of Israel, which has worked really well, of saying we're not compelling you to have a vaccine. If you need to go and buy food, you need to go and do the, the basics of life, you don't need a vaccine. 
but to do the stuff that's high risk, to go and watch a cricket match, to go to the gym, to get on the train, you need a vaccine. Kind um, of embed that as a part of the, you know, the Aragius, Aragius Setu app, which we may have, which sort of says, okay, your status of vaccination and that only will help you get access to certain public gatherings or certain other places, which is, you know, high with the population. And it doesn't have to be a full group system because so long as 90% of people are playing by the rules, it doesn't matter if a few slip through because what you're looking for is this sort of a much abused term, but what you're looking for is a kind of mini herd immunity, right? Uh, a herd immunity within the people sitting watching the cricket match. Certainly India should be thinking about that. And, and the European Union is now introducing a, what's called a green passport it's going to have a QR code in it. You'll, have, you'll be able to print it out, but it'll be on your phone, which is where most people will use it. And it'll be something that scans back to a central database. India, as you pointed out, Aman, absolutely has the capacity to do this. We know this from multiple recent examples. So India should be thinking about how to implement that in a way that isn't intrusive on privacy. So the EU's gone to great lengths to make sure this can't be turned into a tracking device to track uh, where dissidents have been going. So the EU's gone to great lengths to make sure that it can be used for the purpose it's meant for, but it can't be used for any other purpose. And I think there might be stuff India could take from that, from the example in Israel, from countries like Malaysia, which have also been thinking about it. What do you think, Mark, about the role of, you know, going kind of a more local because we do know that, you know, each community in itself has its own thinking about, you know, the vaccination or public health issues. What about the role of, uh, you know, certain civil society organizations? Because I have always been fascinated with the role which they play because they are so close to the, you know, to the community per se. They have the, the pulse of the local population. They are someone who people sort of trust. So do you think it makes sense for really the say the state governments to work closely with so it should not be something which becomes like a while well, the sourcing can be a procurement could be central but its accessibility could be sort of worked through a you know kind of a huge civil society which does exist in in india and then i do want to sort of come to the role of communication which is not just about reducing hesitancy but um, also what the other challenges which exist in today's world it's an interesting question isn't it i saw the head of the cii uh, last week saying process of allocating vaccines in india had just become too complicated that there's a, a quota for the central government there's a quota for the states there's a quota for the private sector it, it's difficult for employers it's difficult for industry it should all be simplified and and i think there's a lot in what he was saying so he was saying central government should take responsibility for 80% of the vaccine stock. And there should be a transparent, and I, I think the courts have almost imposed a transparent mechanism, right, as I understand it, but there should be a transparent mechanism for allocation. Uh, and, and within that, could you allocate some to civil society groups who, who had the capacity to vaccinate? I think you could. I'm not sure you want to start having a whole separate parallel supply system. Fair enough. Uh, you know, I, I think that works in countries in Africa, but India has a much more sophisticated distribution infrastructure. I thought that what he was saying had a lot to be said for it because accountability follows, right? If you say 
central government is getting 80% of the stock. It has the mandate to distribute it. The courts have said it has to be distributed in an equitable manner to reach the populations. Then there's a clear responsibility. So I think, sorry, that was a long answer to the question. But I think if there is a role for civil society, it should be integrated into some kind of public sector delivery system. And then the private sector, I think there's a big role for workplace-based programs as well as hospital-based programs. So you know, clearly there are lots of companies who are going to want to immunize workers and their families. Yeah, and I, th- and I think that's happening. We can see, you know, uh, for example, you know, one of the largest uh, food distribution company, you know, Zomato, you know, they, they were able to get all their frontline uh, delivery boys, uh, you know, vaccinated at one go. And I think that's does uh, sound that the private sector is playing and can play a critical role because they are the people who are really not in, in, in the forefront. They are the ones who are out in the public domain, but the corporate took upon itself. And of course, we have seen groups like Tata's and others who have not just looked upon you know, the, the employee population and the family, but also the communities in which they operate. So I think such kind of a large uh, conglomerates uh, who have always been at the forefront could play a critical role here. And actually, if I may, I, mean, I think that also, you, remember I said we don't need to spend, we don't need to devote much of our attention to hesitancy and, and, and refusal. But actually, hesitancy disappears when people you live around and work with have had the vaccine. And so I, I saw this happening in the small village we live in that there were people who were going, oh, I don't know, I've heard about blood clots, I'm not sure, whatever. And then as, as you know, half and then 70% of the village got immunized, you stopped hearing that because they looked around them and they saw, well, you know, my friend's okay, my neighbor's okay, my husband's friend's okay, I think I'll be okay too. And so in workplaces, that's clearly a very powerful way of it happening, that, that if you've got a Tata site employing 10,000 people, and they look around and they see that 8,000 of them have been immunized, the remaining 2,000 are highly likely to be immunized. I agree with you. And I think, Mark, so I think just want to sort of shift the gear and I think it's almost kind of, you know, the end. We, we have discussed the fact that the logistics and ease of getting access to the vaccine plays a critical role. There are kind of a more of a nudge strategy, not really a heavy, aggressive, calm strategy, which, which would work to get the people to sort of, okay, look around and say, okay, let me just get it done, you know, make it, you know, showcase certain benefits of getting it. So, you know, benefits becomes higher compared to the the fact that they will not get it done. But um, last in terms of, there are this larger conversations happening in the communication circle, especially in the public health about rumors, misinformations, which becoming bigger and bigger, you know, especially in countries like India, where more and more people are, using social media, uh, open social media, like a Twitter or Facebook, or even closed community groups like a WhatsApp or other messaging apps, which are present across not just the smartphones, but the huge feature phones population, which we have covering almost whole of the, the India's population. And there you sort of see things floating around. Uh, and you know we have seen where people say, oh, certain deaths happen. And over a period of time, when they start to just gain more traction, it could become a, a larger population to say, you know, I have heard it and I believe in it. 
right? So irrespective of what's happening around me, I start to believe. So doesn't the kind of, so while in the, sh- at one go, while it might be okay to go with the strategy over a period of time, keeping in mind that such rumors and misinformation can create a certain kind of an, a mindset amongst a growing population, the need for communication and re- sort of introducing such kind of rumors, building kind of a trust is something which is a kind of an important track which needs to be done. I think we have to look and be absolutely sure that these rumors are gaining traction. And I'm not at all convinced they are. What what we've actually seen in most countries is as the vaccine rollout progresses, uh, distrust of vaccines drops dramatically. So we've seen that in Western Europe. We've seen it in North America. We've even seen it among minority populations. So, you know, we had a big problem uh, in parts of Western Europe among South Asian populations, especially Muslim communities, but not exclusively. And then as the mosques, as the imams became involved, as they saw their neighbors getting immunized, it kind of disappeared. And so I think we have to be really sure. But there are examples. You're right, Alman. If you look at HPV in India, and you look at the the tragic history of HPV, right? Where, you know, 80,000 Indian women yep. a year die of cervical cancer. The vaccines could prevent 95% of those deaths. So vaccinating girls today means that in, what, 15, 20 years time, instead of 80,000 deaths a year, uh, there would be 4,000, maybe fewer. And and we'd save lots of people from head and neck cancer. And we, you know, it goes on and on, right? Um, and, and yet we can't, you know, it's it's been what twelve years now. Twelve years, HPV yeah. Vaccines still. What do we have? A few pilot projects in, in Punjab. Yeah, Delhi, yeah, that's it. And and a lot of that is the result of deliberate mischief making by people for their own political and commercial ends. So. Is there is there a risk of that happening with COVID? Yeah, I guess there is, and we have to we have to be careful. I, I think the the strategy we know for overcoming it is to damp down the discussion. So we have that really interesting pilot in Haryana, I think, where people could get answered by text message to questions they had, and the answer came from a nurse, if I remember the pilot correctly, and it worked really well for childhood immunization. So yes, if people really have questions, if they genuinely you know, want a bit of reassurance from a nurse or a doctor to say, is it safe for me? I, I think absolutely we'll provide that. Overall, though, the message is to say, look, th- these vaccines are completely normal. These vaccines are completely safe. Sounds, sounds good, Mark. And again, as I said, I personally do believe that comms has a role. How, what's the extent of it, and what level it needs to be done sort of changes from issue to issue, uh, geography to geography. But it needs to be part of the thought process from the beginning, and not something which we, you know, organizations sort of should bring in as an afterthought. And uh, yeah, and I think uh, hopefully we. We'll get Indian population vaccinated. I think the role of moms is positive, though. It's to say, look at these success stories. Look at communities going back to normal. Look at communities where there have been no deaths. Look at sports clubs reopening. And it's that message that we want to get across, not engaging with the crazy claims about Bill Gates's microchips. Fair enough. And I think with that positive note, we can come to this end. Thanks a lot, Mark. It was 
amazing having this conversation with you and i think i definitely learned a few additional things today thank you for listening if you'd like to tune in to more such conversations subscribe to the sphe dialogue podcast or visit our website spagdialogue.com